and welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. I am your host, Justin. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on, Justin. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. As uh, those who are watching will notice, we're missing Dan and Jason today. Jason is somewhere in the Caribbean, probably drinking something sweet on a beach. <laughs> Dan um, had some emergency house things come up and couldn't make it tonight. So I think he'll be okay. It's just he's uh, going to be moving a lot of things, it sounds like. so. Uh, but I am joined by you, Daniel. Um you are the author of Zweihander, uh, the Zweihander RPG using um, the Powered by the Apocalypse uh, RPG system. And we're going to talk all about that today. And I'm super excited because I've recently discovered this, even though I heard it about it a while ago. So yeah. very excited. Yeah, well, we're, we're quick quick point of clarification. So it's uh, it's yes. powered by Zweihander. So we don't use the Apocalypse oh. engine. We have use our, our oh. own game engine that we built in-house um, several years ago. But we'll get. I'm sure we're going to get into all that regardless. <laughs> well, that is a point of clarification because for some reason I thought it was powered by the Apocalypse. And I am glad to know that it's powered by Zweihander. <laughs> Even better. More to talk about. <laughs> yeah, especially regarding the OGL stuff. That's going to be a fun conversation, I'm sure. <laughs> Definitely, definitely. And so, uh, again, thank you for, for jumping on the show with us. Um, and uh, as always, let's get into our Geek Week. So um, I'll start with the Geek Week just to kind of go through it a little bit. Uh, my Geek Week was kind of interesting. I um, I play I play Warcry, which is a, uh, a skirmish game by Games Workshop. Mm -hmm. And I have signed up for Adepticon to play there that happens at the end of March. And I cannot figure out what kind of miniatures I want to bring with me, which is bad because everybody else has already an idea and they're play testing and all that stuff. And I'm not. So I spent the weekend building some models. I got some little orcs here that I built, right? And I need to paint them and all that stuff. But I, I built like 20 models, only going to use like eight of them. And I <laughs> still don't know if I'm actually going to use them. So. <laughs> you know so that was fun um but uh you know i'm just kind of like going through thinking like oh what do i want to do what do i want to do but uh i i love hobbying you know and, and kind of building things and listening to podcasts and lore stuff and going through all those things while i'm while i'm making it because it just is uh I, i've said several times on the show it's my zen moment yeah where i can just kind of like you know go through it so do you uh do you play any kind of tabletop skirmish games or miniatures or anything like that you know, uh, it's interesting you should ask that. Uh, I recently picked up the most recent copy of uh, Blitz Bowl or Blood Bowl, rather, the new Blood one. Blood Bowl, yeah. Yeah, I, I found it on um, on the cheap at, at Barnes & Noble. And and my, my, my dirty little secret about board games is I buy board games for figures. I typically don't play the board games, but nice. uh, I've been really drawn into Blood Bowl having played the um, the console version. So mm -hmm. now I'm I'm in the I'm in the situation where I'm putting together my figures. But um, like anybody who buys figures, I, I I haven't painted them, nor do I paint my figures, which my my gaming group is like, you should paint your stuff like hey, I'm, <laughs> I'm so bad at it as I'm a terrible painter. Um, my buddy will uh, he builds terrain for us and he's yeah. like, he paints models and he's like, just try your hand at painting. You do speed painting. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it. <laughs> So the question is, are you painting your, are you going to paint your minis that you just showed? I, I do a lot of painting and I don't have any painted ones. I mean, I've kind of worked, been working on like this Stormcast guy that you can see, right? Uh-huh. 
Um, and I've got a bunch of other ones. So I'd love to paint. Um, and that's really my Zen space where yeah. um, I can just kind of clear my head and do kind of a task that is kind of mindless, but also engaging at the same time. You know, it's mm -hmm. uh, one of those rare, rare things. And so um, it's funny. It's funny you mentioned this because our other show host, Dan, for the longest time said the exact same things that you did. Oh, I'm terrible at painting. I don't know that mm -hmm. I want to get into it. It doesn't really matter. And then he discovered speed paint and now he's like engaged. <laughs> like he's, I love he's it. probably painting more than I am at this point, you know? And so, um, I, yeah, he's I'm, discovered his love of it. I've got the, this distinct privilege of being friends uh, with this guy. Will he goes by uh, that effing GM, I think on Twitter and um, I started gaming with him like earlier this year. We actually met on Twitter and he prints miniature terrain at home um, and has like a massive collection. So instantly I was like, uh, can I pay you to like build all my terrain, please? And now I have all this dungeon terrain and sewer terrain. Um, and he's going to start working on city terrain soon. And I'm I, you can't see it here. It's in the background, but um, I just got my sewer terrain from it. It's really, really cool. And then this week I actually have bought from monster fight club i bought the plastic rocks oh yeah look at those yeah we're these are really neat um i'm, I'm a big fan of their their miniatures their tree miniatures are incredible you can actually pull the tops of the trees off so you can reach it with your figures and because we record our games um with a with a camera position down toward the grid as we play in person um that terrain the terrain that they create and the trees they make are super super cool uh but my go-to guy is is will he does He's 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 the best guy ever. Um, he just builds everything for us, and I and I love him for it. Now he's gonna custom print some figures for us too. I think here oh. for our weekly Zweihander game. So we're really stoked about that. So I'm looking over your shoulder a little bit, and that looks like it's at your game table. You've got a bunch of shelves for miniatures. You got a bunch of shelves for books. Um, if I'm you know you got some kind of uh, uh, fantasy RPG artwork that's up on the on the walls. Uh -huh. This seems to be your dungeon. If I'm not yeah, mistaken. so I, I've blurted out because what you can probably also see is that our Christmas decorations, we're currently going through our basement, the other side of the basement. <laughs> so they're actually all in the game room right now. <laughs> we're trying to like get rid of all this Christmas shit we've had for years. So my game, yeah. my game table is covered. But now this is our this is our dungeon. We've um we've we a buddy of mine, his mom, mom built us this massive 800 pound four by eight game table with these dinner dinner drawers in it. And we we play our tabletop games on top, so like our weekly Zweihander game, and then we play Darkest Dungeon, the board game, and we have that actually Ooh, inside the game. table. Yeah, the leaves come off the top, and it's sitting on speed cloth. So this is this is both my home office and my my dungeon. And I've got over here my Merkborg album yep. with the adventure inside of it, and then my AD and D Synthwave album inside of it from like nineteen ninety one. I want to say um, that's awesome. Yeah, I I I've kind of I love the 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 i have these old records i don't know if you remember or not but like um pizza hut used to create these like little papery records that you could give it for like oh, movies yeah. and things like that um, yeah. i recently acquired some like that for like dungeons and dragons because much like what we're seeing right now with wizards of the coast tsr was like trying to monetize their brand way back in the day i found all these really interesting kind of like branded things like i have like the war duke figure i've got like some older records huh. And I just kind of got into this. This is just kind of a recent thing. I started getting into the hobby of collecting old D and D memorabilia, and I and my 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 crowning piece of my collection is actually this little 
L LCD screens about the size of a of a of a credit card, and it's a yeah. little dungeon game, and it's like made nineteen eighty six. Um, Whoa, and uh, yeah, it's awesome. really really cool. Yeah, you anybody who's listening or watching, you probably find it. Just look up D and D handheld, and it's like a little burgundy console with two little gray buttons. It's the it's the it's the weirdest like collectible I've found so far in like the D and D market on eBay. That's awesome. Uh, just a little fun anecdote about that Darkest Dungeon game. I played the very first copy in the United States. Really? Where at? Yeah. So, so what happened is that my friend, he's actually my cousin um, here in Virginia. He works for Mythic Games. Oh, cool. And um, dude, I don't know why, but my lights seem to be flickering and freaking out. But anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, so my cousin works for Mythic Games and he was going to Gen Con to demo Darkest Dungeon. Um, this is like when I think it was still in the post. Uh, I don't know if the Kickstarter had quite closed by then or i think it was maybe in post orders anyway um but he was going to gen con to dem demonstrate it and we had the only copy in north america mm. and we were playing it to test it out like a like two weeks before gen con so um that was pretty that was pretty cool because i'm like wow like this is pretty legit you know yeah like, uh, testing it out so i really like that game it's a lot of fun we we just wrapped up a year long campaign for Kingdom Death, and when we received when I received the Darkest Dungeon uh, Kickstarter, which I bought, you know everything because I love the figures, yeah. I love the design elements. Yes. Um, we set it up uh, back in late December, and we intended to play by now because we game every week. But between uh, people being out of town, we have a, one of our gamers is he's in Belize right now. Um, one of our gamers, she's an attorney. She just had to unfortunately leave the game group. So we haven't had a chance to really crack into it, say for the demo adventure. But um, I will say, um, having played it, we unboxed it and played it over like two hours. And it was yeah. a really smooth experience. I really liked it. it. It felt like the darkest dungeon video game, which is like, if we can emulate the genre and emulate the game, like yeah. I'm in. So it's a win, I'm just, I'm just sure. absolutely in love with the figures though. Yeah, very good. Very good. <laughs> Uh, so how was, how was your geek week? We talked a lot about all your geek stuff. How was your geek yeah. week? Um, so gosh, it's a good question. Um, I bought, like I said, I've been buying some new, uh, terrain. Um, I started watching the last of us, which Me too. I, I missed last night's episode. In fact, I told my wife cause she's, okay. so my wife's not a gamer. Um, but she will play video games with me. The video games that she will play are only horror games because we're, we're big horror aficionados. Like we love horror films and yeah. she loves horror video games. So we played through last of us and she didn't play very far. We got to, I think Boston, like, so not very far into the game itself. Okay. So now we're watching the TV show and the first episode, yeah. of course, is just mind bogglingly good. And I've, yeah. I've had to, I've had to mute um, all the hashtags uh, on social media. So yeah. they doesn't get spoiled for us. So I told her, I said, after I get off this interview tonight, I swear we're going to sit down at like 10 o'clock at night and we're going to watch it because we're super yeah. stoked for the next episode. I watched it last night. I was at a dinner thing with, um, with some friends and I got home and um, ended up watching it. And man, it did. So first off, it doesn't disappoint. Okay. I'm not going to yeah. give any spoilers. <laughs> it doesn't disappoint. But the second thing that I want to say about that show, and you probably got this from the first episode, but even more so in the second episode, 
they know how to do horror. The showrunners of that show yeah. know how to do horror. Man, they they ramp you up, they bring you back down. They ramp you mm -hmm. up, they bring you back down. And I mean, there's moments where I'm like gripping the seat, you know, and I'm like, I it reminds me um of how I felt like for in the first season of The Walking Dead. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was so compelling that first season. And you know, Walking Dead has over 10 seasons, it's gonna have its issues and things like that. Mm -hmm. But that first season was so compelling like you just wanted to keep watching and at the same time like it was just really good like horror stuff you know and so yeah um i think the last of us has some phenomenal actors in it i think it's it's really well written it's got a great concept obviously that worked really well for the video games and um i i hope i hope we can see more quality video game crossovers because yeah. we just haven't had a ton like no. you've had a ton of crossovers, but not a good quality ones. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's so I loved. Uh, so the showrunner, not Neil, I think his name is Neil Druckmann, but the guy who did Chernobyl for HBO yes. um, is the one who initially, I think, pitched in as a, one of the showrunners on this. And that show was depressing. But but more importantly, they're really good at like pacing. And I think that the mm -hmm. story beats that I saw, even without, you know, even coming at it completely objectively um, at The Last of Us, like as a standalone series assuming it's disconnected from the, the the game itself it's a really good story so far yeah. um i know that they've they've changed some of the story i think probably for the better um but i'll i'll, I'll we'll see what happens this season i i'm I, I have no doubt that i won't that i won't be disappointed my friends have said you have to watch it immediately um they're stuck in and these are people who don't play video games these are people who are just like yeah. into the last of us or into that films that are kind of like feel almost like a Cormac McCarthy novel, um, which is one yeah. of the reasons why I love The Last of Us because it was so comparable to The Road. But nonetheless, so, yeah, that's uh, that's my geek week. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really good. It's it's funny you say this. So I have this wild hair. I've got my brother gave me his PS4 when he got a PS5 and I didn't have a PS4 before. So I have never played The Last of Us. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm coming into this fresh, right? That's great. So I kind of, I know it's awesome, and I kind of have this wild hair of going and playing the game, like watching the episode and then playing the game up to that point. Do you mm -hmm. know what I mean? And just kind of seeing like, oh, this is different, this is stuff, and then just kind of writing about it a little bit, maybe putting it on our social media or website or something like that. Um, yeah. but what I did do is I went back and I read, reread The Road, um, mm -hmm. just last week. Yeah, and. Man, that book is something else. You know what it I mean? It really like, is. It's something else because it's like it's so simplistic mm -hmm. in a sense, right? There's not like there's not a lot that happens or that goes on and the dialogue is very minimal, right? Like yeah. the the when when the characters are talking to each other, it's like one-line sentences. Yeah. And you know, almost as few syllables and you just kind of get this feeling of like they're trying to conserve energy, even in the way that they talk like yeah. they, you know, and it just puts this like muted, like depression, like that, that you feel right. Like there's not a lot of like flourish and that you yeah. would expect in the normal living world. Right. Like this is a post-apocalyptic just state of depression. It seems like. Have you read <laughs> blood Meridian? Uh, I have not yet. Uh, it's, it's excellent. And it is, even though it takes place in America, 
he kind of has the same approach. I always, I always referred to Cormac McCarthy as the E.E. E. Cummings of authors. Like he's mm -hmm. got this very particular style that he writes in um, of, of his work. And I've, of course, I love the movie, the road, but I'd, I'd read Cormac McCarthy well before the road mm -hmm. came out. And, and his, I think his best book is blood Meridian, but it's a Western. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's creepy and weird and horrifying. And if you if you if you close your eyes, you ignore the fact that it's in America. It feels like a post-apocalyptic book mm -hmm. um, because the way that he writes and the stories that he tells, um, I highly recommend it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that you know, The Last of Us is. I, I can't think of any other video game to television show that has succeeded. Although I think we have had a very scant few video games, or sorry, television show or movies turned into video games that worked. Um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking specifically of a game called Escape from Butcher's Bay based off of Pitch Black, that Vin Diesel movie, which oh, is yeah. the, the original movie. It's not great, but the game Escape from Butcher's Bay is incredible. It's um, and I, and I love the setup. It's essentially you're trapped into prison. Now you have to work through the politics of living in a prison to escape the prison. Oh, cool. and it's, yeah, yeah. It's all first person. It's a it's it's slightly a, it's a horror game, survival horror, um, and it's got role playing elements. Um, but I was thinking about that when I was thinking about the the last of us, because I was trying to think about like movies that turn into video games that were successful. It's the only one I can think of off the top of my head that actually was. Yeah, it was a sleep, a cult sleeper hit. It's actually a really well written game, um, despite the fact that it has been diesel playing, you know, Vin Diesel in it, but um, yeah. yeah, I can't think of anything else that that been made from video game to movie or or movie to video game that has succeeded, save for those two titles. Yeah, I mean, we had stuff like you know, you've had The Witcher that has come out, and I think mm -hmm. I think it had success, but I think it's also had its issues, right? The problem is, is like the fandom, right? Some sometimes you yeah. you <laughs> you go awry from the fandom and. And it ends up having some mixed reviews or, or you know, uh -huh. gets review bombed or something like that. And I thought that The Witcher's like, you know, the first season of The Witcher did really, really well. The second season was kind of trying to figure out what it wanted to do with itself. Because um, yeah. I don't know. Have you read any of the books by... Um, the author Alexander Spiorsky or I can't. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I had played my, my, my journey with the Witcher began with the Witcher one on PC. Me too. And I, and I, I loved it. I, yeah. I, I picked it up randomly on like when, back when Microsoft live did video games, like yep. they had, yep. they had a, Me too. <laughs> yeah, I bought it on there randomly. And, and I was like, wow, this game is incredible. And the storytelling is really cool. And here are these collectible sex cards. And I'm like, there's this, what, what is going on? What is this game about? So I started yeah. doing my research and discover like, it's this Polish, like dark fantasy novel that was written way back when. So I end up finding a copy of the Hexer, the television show. Yeah. And I watched it back to back in Polish uh, with, with, with the auto translating English subtitles on YouTube. And I was like stuck in, I was like, this is so cool. And then Witcher two hits, which is like, I think you'd still in my top, five role-playing games such of all a time. Good game. such yeah, a it really game. is. I love Witcher 3, but Witcher 2 has, I think, has a stronger story. Yeah. Um, and the setup's better. Uh, I I just think it's a, you know, the story, I think the story is better, but regardless, yeah, The Witcher turned it, I mean, The Witcher television show, you know, has been, you know, a big influence on my writing. I, I love dark yeah. fantasy. I love horror dark fantasy more specifically, yeah. and that kind of ticks off on that box for the, the type of media like it to, that I enjoy. Yeah. Awesome. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah. And I want to, I want to touch on that when we kind of get into Zweihander yeah. and all that stuff too, because 
uh, I definitely feel like my role playing um, knit, like where I like to play and kind of in the sandbox is, is that area as well. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I mean, I'll play sci-fi, I'll play other things, but where I really love is that dark, like uh, you know, um, that dark low fantasy type thing that mm-hmm. uh, it, it's that's a lot of fun. So, um, as far as our geek news, what I wanted to talk about this week, um, we don't have a ton, but Wizards of the Coast announced this last week that they are putting out the OGL 2.0 <laughs> after the disaster that was 1.1, and um, they announced that it was coming out on the Creative Commons. They're, or they're going to base it off of a Creative Commons framework, which mm-hmm. I think is probably the way that they should have gone anyway, just because the Creative Commons is a known entity to yep. um, a lot of people, especially in the you know creative industries, uh, like art, music, videos, like all that type of stuff. And one of the things that they mentioned is that they were um, basically – handing the OGL over to a third party who would be the curator of it and that uh, Wizards of the Coast wasn't going to be the ones that would tinker with and that this would be irrevocable. It would not, you know, that they couldn't Mm -hmm. uh, yank it away like uh, maybe a 1.0 or 1.05, right? So um, I'm kind of curious, you know, like we had a lot of comments on our our last video about about the OGL and you as a developer, I'm kind of curious to know what you were thinking as you saw all of this like sort of unravel over the last two weeks. Yeah. um, So uh, like 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 other designers, um, I've I, I saw the original the, the the revised OGL the early OGL they released like over a month ago, and okay. um and and I I couldn't talk about it publicly, um I I, I think I was actually when it first started getting when it was first break the story was breaking I think it was an Indestructible's uh, YouTube chat mm-hmm. and because um, it was it was about to finally drop because Linda Kadega they were about to release the story, um and and it I'm not surprised I guess I should say because the way that Wizards of the Coast is kind of heading um, because of their leadership consists of ex video game executives. It's not yeah. surprising to see them want to try to claw back some of what they feel they quote lost. But I think, you know, I think people have spoken about this plenty, people who are much more in, educated on it than I am. Um, but, but, but I will say that uh, what I think that Wizards of the Coast executives, meaning the people from Hasbro, underestimated is, is that D is folk tradition. Um, it's right. not a brand and that D and D is empowered by the culture around it. Not about the ampersand, not about the toys and apparel. It's really about the community. And I think that's the thing that they missed like a big miss on that. Yeah. I have a very strong feeling that people in decision-making positions inside wizards of the coast um, were not in favor of the OGL. Um, but, Hasbro and you know the people they kind of pass down their orders through um, are going to do what they're going to do. Um, so right, wrong, or indifferent, it's it's good that they're going to entertain changing it. Um, I am, I'm I'm a little I'm I'm not I guess I'm I'm kind of worried in the sense that uh, you know they could potentially send cease and desist to people who would fold in front of like legal you know legal threat. But mm-hmm. my opinion, my my you know my professional opinion and i'm not an attorney just you know on this but uh it's you can't copyright anything 
in the OGL. In fact, in fact, I think OGL is, is a paper tiger. Um, I think right. we've kind of included it in work because of the fear of reprisal. Um, but nonetheless, like these game mechanics, like the D20 um, or the term armor class or the word strength, like these things have been available in other RPGs beyond D&D. Um, that well that persisted well before Wizards of the Coast ever owned D&D. So, right. um, you know, I, I have a little bit of experience with this, and it actually goes all the way back to 2016. Um, so, and this is, we'll probably talk more about Zweihander, I'm sure, at some point. But Zweihander was intended to be a retro clone of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Oh, interesting. And, okay. Yeah. And my, my challenge was, there's no OGL for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, but I love the mechanics. So... Yeah, how can I replicate parts of that game engine to give a similar feel, but strip away all of the IP, strip away the things that I didn't like about the old world of Warhammer? How do I just strip it down to its nuts and bolts of the game mechanics itself, and then start to kind of change the mechanics to fit what I wanted to do? And I went back and forth um, with my my attorney on this because I was very concerned that. I could potentially provoke uh, Games Workshop to fire from orbit at me and sue me to death. Uh, but the they, reality is, they do. Yeah. Their Battlefleet Gothic uh, is waiting yeah. Yeah. to fire to nuke from orbit. They really That's are. That's right. That's <laughs> right. But the but the but the out but the net net of that conversation those conversations was, um, you can copyright the particular expression of mechanics, but you can't copyright the mechanics themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, furthermore, there is no trademark on it. So. Um, when I developed Zweihander, I developed it with zero concerns um, that it would be uh, that I undergo any sort of legal scrutiny from Games Workshop, and and that has held up for seven years. Um, even though the the connectivity between Zweihander and Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay is thin at this point at best, nonetheless, that is its origin. So I very much understand um, where the higher level philosophical concerns are around companies examining their business and how it relates to the OGL, because there are several third party publishers, including Paizo before the big announcement that were, you know, that are potentially looking at losing their business because of these right. changes. It's, it's good. The community spoke up. That's all I'm, you know, that's kind of my final point on it. It's great that we spoke up, we unified, we locked arms despite our differences and we managed to, force major major change um which is saying something um i don't think there's ever been an existential crisis in the rpg world as there has been with the ogl yeah it's really interesting to me to see how at first i was reading this and i'm like i don't understand like i legitimately didn't understand what all of the the fuss was about right and then i actually read the ogl I'm like, oh, yeah. it, there's like there's like three parts, and we talked about it in our last episode, and we don't need to rehash it here. But there, you know, there's certain parts that were like, oh, okay, now this makes more sense. Why, why, you know, people are um, getting as as, uh, as upset as they are about this, and yeah. um, uh, yeah, it's funny, it's it's funny because literally last week we submitted, um, we have a Patreon account. And mm -hmm. one of our Patreon rewards is we are putting out an RPG adventure based on it could be D and D, it could be uh, you know uh, Mothership, it could be just mm -hmm. a lot of you know a lot of these a uh, Call of Cthulhu, something like that that we're playing a lot of different things on, and um, and uh, one of them might might be a Zweihander adventure that uh, that mm -hmm. we want to try to put out, you know, and um, and so um, anyway the the 
the point is, is that we submitted our D and D adventure through drive through RPG and the guys who run it are great. And they came back and says, okay, you're using the OGL. Here's all the things that you need to fix with your thing. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. Like yeah. it was, it was a laundry list of things. And I thought we were being careful and, you know, we had to go through and change all this stuff. And then we had to go through and like line item every instance that we had used, you know, like the references. And most often the the references that we used were in the pregens that we made. Right. Because we used certain yeah. spells and things like that. And so we said, you know what? Let's pull out the pregens. And uh -huh. if we do that, then we don't have anything from the system reference document. We're probably still publishing under the OGL because it's the OGL, but we don't have to line item every single thing that we did because it would have been onerous to have to go through and like list out every single thing. Yeah. So, I mean, it, to talk about, you know, creators, I think, you know, set aside the fact that it's impacting Kelpie. Let's talk about creators like you, like yeah. other creators who are just like using Patreon to monetize content, sharing their adventures out there, trying to find a platform to even give them out for free. And because we, you know, drive through RPG is kind of drive through RPG is, you know, the number one digital resource for games, um, for RPGs, at least next to itch, but, you know, set aside itch for a moment, um, yeah. you know, they're bound by contract, you know, with, with, with the DM skill, they have to, they have to arbitrate that content because they're on the hook. Uh, yeah. so the, 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 the impact it's felt among, you know, creators, small and large, um, is very, very real. Um, and, and I'm. I will say, you know, I, I'm, it's, there's some silver lining here. The silver lining is that, uh, people who may have started their journey with D and D fifth edition are now looking at other games. Um, anecdotally, uh, a local store here in the Kansas city area called tabletop game and hobby, um, mm -hmm. owned by Phil Kilgore. It's a gamma power seller, top 10 store in the United States. So it's moving a lot of product. And um, Phil and I have been talking and he said, you know, we can't keep Pathfinder on the shelves. We can't keep any game on the shelves. D&D &D is sitting there and everything else is gone. So I walked in on the to the game store wow. on Saturday. They had their second largest weekend since the launch of D&D &D 5th edition last weekend. Um, wow. Because because there so many games are being are selling and it's it, this this word of mouthing. It's not just on social media. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen there's articles on you know there's articles everywhere about this at this point. Washington Post had an article on it, but this is like yeah, that blew these, my mind. Yeah, it had these massive ripples to people who probably don't even know what the hell the LGL is, yeah. but more but it has there's so such negative sentiment toward D and D. It has been beneficial for people who make games that are not. D D. And that's the exciting part. I could tell yeah. you, you know, from from my own experience that you know Zweihander sales have been absolutely wild. Um awesome. that first that first week the OGL was announced. I was like, oh man, a lot of people are hurting from this. I'm gonna give away some Zweihander for your Zweihander roll 20 codes just to like help maybe take help some people take their minds off of things. Yeah. Um, just to kind of, you know, just to like say, you know, this thing is like big and pervasive here. Try this other game just for now. Hopefully yeah. it'll bring you some joy. Um, within a week I had sold like over 600 starter kits, um, like Whoa. box starter kits. Like it, it, it was absolutely wild and unexpected. And that was not the intention, but yeah. you know, from my experience, like it's been good Paizo. I mean, you can't, you can't find a Pathfinder book anywhere hardly in the United States on the bookshelf in a favorite local gaming store. Mm -hmm. um, it's really hard to find right now. That's great for Paizo and Pathfinder. It's really good for 
third party RPG publishers because their games, you know, are getting their day in the sun with these people who don't know any games beyond D and D fifth edition. And that's, that's incredible. That is the amazing, that's the silver lining here. And, you know, whatever, whatever D and D nets out with the OGL, um, I think the industry has shifted now in a way that wizards of the coast through Hasbro have to do a lot of, um, community building to earn back the trust of the community. Yeah, they've lost a little bit of the moral high ground, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, so uh, you know, it's funny because uh, this interview was obviously not planned around the OGL, right? Like I had reached out to you back in December to see if we yeah. could get something on the on the on the books, which it, it just happened to be this week was the week that we could do it. Yeah. And um, you know, one of the questions that we asked is like, "How's this going to affect the community?" And I said, personally, like I, I'm just talking about me. Um, I played D and D fifth edition. We played Rhyme of the Frost Maid and we ran that campaign, you know, and it was a it was a ton of fun. It was probably one of um Wizards of the Coast's best campaigns, in my opinion, because it was just very well written. However, mm-hmm. and I don't know if you can see maybe right here yeah. on my screen. One that's, ring, I see that. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. You got the one ring starter set, you've got the Witcher, you've got the Call of Cthulhu starter set, Warhammer Fart Fantasy starter set. I'm a sucker for starter sets, including the Zweihander starter set, which we'll talk about mm-hmm. in a little bit. But yeah. um, I'm a big sucker for starter sets because it's so great to easily just pull it out, test out the system with your buddies. Mm-hmm. I mean, the starter sets range anywhere from like, you know, the ridiculously cheap $20 Call of Cthulhu set to the little bit more expensive RuneQuest $50 starter set, you know, and uh everything in between kind of thing. And, but you know, you can, for, for the price of, um, you know, 20, 30, $40, you can have a great session or two or three out of one of these starter sets and really get into a new system with your gaming group. Yeah. I've, you know, one of my new year's resolutions, I, I don't typically make resolutions, but this year I was like, I'm, when I buy RPGs, I'm going to start first with the starter set yep. um, as opposed to going whole hog into the book. Because what I find <laughs> is that <clears throat> I buy the book, I flip through it, it goes on my shelf. Yeah. But if I buy a starter kit, I open it, I explore it, I look at what's inside, I look at the pregens, I look at all the options because I love, what I, one thing I really love about starter kits in particular is I love the fact that it's kind of hybrid board game, hybrid RPG experience. Yep. So you have yep. that. I, I love the unboxing experience of board games. I love popping the chits out of the MDF board. I love tearing the cars and looking through the, the, the stuff. That's what I love about starter kits. Starter kits, you can yeah. really kind of sink your teeth into all the physical components. Like that's a big Very part tangible. of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a big reason why I absolutely was, you know, I'm, I, you know, my favorite era of D and D's AD and D era, because we had so many different box kits um, yeah. that had like, acetate overlays and big fold out mass and things like that and a lot of that a lot of that experience when i was younger went into building the zweihander starter kit um, but i love the starter kit i love starter kits in general i just picked up the dune one which is i think oh, in the highest nice. it's like it's a 79 dollar one but it comes yep. with an absolute ton of material um between that the pathfinder beginner box i mean those in my mind even though they're a little bit more expensive they are some of the best starter kits mm-hmm. ever created um, in, yeah. in, in, in the modern, in the modern age, in the sense of modern D and D modern OGL, modern RPGs. Yeah. One of the things that I loved, we did a review on the call of Cthulhu starter kit. One of the things that I absolutely love about that starter kit is it comes with a solo adventure. 
yeah that you play and it teaches the dm how to play the game right and so as the dm you play the solo adventure you're having a ton of fun doing it right because it's like a it's like one of those choose your own adventure games yeah and uh and and at the same time you're like oh this is how you roll for a combat oh this is how you roll for skill check Oh, you know, this is how you compare and contrast. This is what this stat is for. This is what this category is for. And so having that in there to teach the DM and give the DM an experience of what it's like to play the game without having to learn it on the fly 100% with his new players was so great. Like, and RuneQuest had the same thing. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I could have run the RuneQuest starter adventure with my friends without having played that starter adventure you know solo adventure um because it was just very informative and and instructive and you get a good feel of the world that they're trying to create by playing those solo adventures right like you get the flavor you get the lore you get kind of like the the ambiance like all of that with uh with those solo adventures that was good um yeah it it reminds me a lot of uh i i just i've i've went this is my i've done the second playthrough of thousand year old vampire i'm not sure if you're familiar with it but it's a uh solo journaling game about being a vampire um and it has a little journal you get and then you 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 play through the game like that that's what i liked about the call of cthulhu starter kit too is that you get to learn the mechanics as you as you build your character in the story it's a very clever way to do like solo rpging and in journal rpging like a really interesting hybrid approach um it's one thing i wished we would have done in this why andrew starter kit because it's such a a clever way to introduce new players new storytellers to a system well you can always come up with a solo adventure and and put it out for (laughs) free right and just let people like get up in that yeah that's an awesome way to do it. But, um, you know, I was going to say the one thing that I absolutely love about solo or uh, uh, starter kits is that um, I feel like starter kits are what the developer really wants you to experience as a first time player. Yeah. Right? Like the developer gets to set that tone. They get to choose the adventure that you're going to play. They got to get to kind of make those pre-gens. They get to make the map. They get to make the adventure mm-hmm. and say like, this is kind of our baby that we're launching out to you, you know? And, and uh, so, you know, rather than just picking up a, you know, even, even just picking up a, an adventure off of our drive through RPG or something, or, you know, going through the core book and, and, and homebrewing something yourself, you really get to experience what the developer had in mind for that system. And I think that's awesome about yeah. it. Yeah. The, the, the distillation of the most essential things about a game, whether it be theme or genre or mechanics like that experience is what you have to forcibly uh, mm-hmm. fit inside a box um and it's yeah. a really interesting creative exercise it's a very intriguing creative exercise because so i think you know i i think about um i think about my experience playing call of cthulhu uh way back in the day and yeah. then playing and then going through the starter kit and and realizing like the intentionality uh that mm-hmm. the creators had versus the way that we were playing it and it's in and and, and and it's a very it's very fascinating uh because you get a real good sense of what they the experience they want you to have so in a perfect world every rpg starts with a starter kit um Mm -hmm. but that's prohibitively expensive unfortunately it's really hard to do it is it is oftentimes you'll find a book will come then a starter kit and that's that's just the the nature of the the print production cycle but more more importantly i think to your point like 
you know, you the starter kit, you know, a starter kit for any RPG really is about what what experience you want players to have with your game to intrigue them enough to, you know, invest um, in in the core rulebook to invest in whatever additional supplements there are. And it's and it's once again, it's a very challenging um, an exciting creative exercise um, that I've undergone, and I know a lot of other publishers have undergone too. Um, but you, it comes out the end. You end up with this is really nice experience that you can sell inexpensively and hopefully sell lots of units because more units lead to more books, lead to more sales, leads to more money for people to actually produce and make games. That's that's right, absolutely right. Okay, well, um, all of that aside, we definitely want to talk about what's in your. Uh, starter kit mm-hmm. that you came out, but let's get a little bit of background here. So yeah, you've told us a little about you and gaming, right? You've uh, you started out playing D and D way back in the day. It sounded like um, yeah. what what wanted what got you into wanting to become like a developer and more specifically like not a D and D developer. Yeah, um, you know, so I I started playing D and D when I was. 11. I, I think my first edition was AD&D second edition. I actually, mm-hmm. I was given um, a monster manual. Like I, I was a, I was a skateboarder and a break dancer when I was a kid. Cause you know, eighties. Um, and I was like winter time <laughs> and, and my buddies, my buddy's brother's stoner brother gave me a copy of the monster manual that my mom bought the player's handbook and so on and so forth. And we ended up playing D and D for years and years and years and years and years. Yeah. And then fourth edition D and D comes out and I, hate it (laughs) yeah and and i started looking elsewhere and uh my favorite local gaming store tabletop uh the owner phil kilgore he's like have you seen warhammer fantasy role play Mm. and i'm like no but let me read a little about it so i bought the book and i sat on top of it for a year and then eventually i discover like this like skill-based system that i just absolutely fall in love with and i love the fact that it's profession-based so um it's not just it's not based off of classes it's based off of like normal right. everyday people getting thrust into like really challenging weird situations and i just fell in love i fell in love with the game mechanics but i i did not like the old world setting because it was so mm. dramatically different than the my game world because my intention was never actually to make a commercial product yeah. um, it was to homebrew a system for my friends in our basement to play that was different than D and could emulate the things that we really loved about gaming, which was a more realistic, gritty approach, which D&D we fiddled with for many, many different editions and years and just could never get it dialed in right. Um, mm-hmm. We wanted the opportunity to play normal, everyday people, not the fighter, mage, wizard, thief. We wanted to play like peasants and laborers and stevedores and road agents and things like that. Um, and we also wanted the ability to kind of allow people to do more than just swing swords. So the skill-based system that, Warhammer Fantasy Role had built roleplay had built in, which was loosely based off a game before that called Maelstrom. Like yep. those two games were like these quintessential games that I just fell in love with. So I end up making this kind of hodgepodge game at my table, merging my kind of low fantasy campaign world, dark fantasy campaign world into the Warhammer system. And then suddenly I discovered this super vibrant community of Warhammer fantasy roleplay players at this website called strike to stun. And then I started sharing out what we were doing at my game table and people are like, Oh my God, like you should turn this into a game. And my, my game group's like, you should turn this into a game. And I'm like, well, we'll see, you know, <laughs> like I've never written anything in my entire life, save for a few term papers and contracts yeah, uh, in yeah. my, in my day job. So, um, 
eventually I released kind of like a loose version of what is called Project Core Hammer. And that was intended to give just the bare bones elements, the engine itself, to run Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay World using the game engine. And this is about the time that uh, WFRP 3rd Edition came out, which was kind of, okay. at, the, at the time it was University Reviled. I, I think that yeah. was a, a misstep. I think it's a brilliant game. I love it. Uh, but it was not well liked by the Warhammer community because it was a mm. board game hybrid experience. It was just yeah. wrong, wrong game, wrong time. If it came out today, yeah. I think it'd be a massive hit. But nonetheless, I, I release it and and then people start glomming onto it. So I'm like, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll bring it to Kickstarter. This is like in 2015, mind you. So this is like in the early days of Kickstarter when tabletop mm -hmm. RPGs on Kickstarter were like few and far between. So I sit down with my my buddy, Tim, and he's like a VP at Bank of America. And I'm like, man, I just want to like see if I can print some books at Lulu.com. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. I'm going to see, see if I can sell 100 books on Kickstarter. I don't know. Well, let's find out. So I ended up setting up a Kickstarter. I named the game Zweihander because I know I wanted the book to be big and held in two hands like the Zweihander sword. Like, That's amazing. That's how you yeah. came up with the name. Yeah. That's I wanted so to be awesome. Like a, a big book you can hold on to with both hands. And that's when the name originated. And I brought it to Kickstarter. And I had, I think my initial goal was like $900. It raises like $62,000. And I'm like, holy crap. Like people like this. And then. And then I realized shortly thereafter, I raised another 128,000 on, on backer kit and crowd ox. And suddenly I have a quarter million dollars sitting in the bank account. And, and, and I'm, I'm just flabbergasted. And I'm like, well, why, why this game? Why, why is this like the one that's kind of, you know, standing out? Um, and I attribute it to, you know, there's a gap in the industry at the time. Like mm -hmm. people weren't satisfied with Warhammer. Um, yeah. But also I came from the digital advertising where I spent, 17 years of my career in advertising. So I knew how to utilize paid ads on Facebook. I knew how to use SEO on Google. I had, I was, I was calling game stores and selling direct to them. I was doing everything mm -hmm. I could to build awareness around it. So trade marketing and consumer marketing. And then in 2018, I submit it to the innies at Gen Con on a whim and it ends up winning best game and product of the year. And I guess shit, I guess now I'm a game, I'm a game publisher. You're so, legit now. Yeah. So I was at I was at Gen Con 2018. Oh, were you? Yep. Yeah. And I remember hearing about Zweihander when I was there. Yeah. And um I went by the booth that you because you guys had a booth, I think, right? We unfortunately we didn't. The funny thing is we went to Gen Con Were you and we had it somewhere. We had zero books to sell at Gen Con. We had nothing. That's what I was no, saying. Like, yeah. where do I find this book? And they're, they're like, oh, hey, you can't find it. You know, and like, yeah. But I was like, oh, man, like, because I remember being there. <laughs> yeah. So we, we, yeah, the crazy thing is, so we, the, we go to Gen Con, we went best game product the year, and people were like, where can I buy your book? And I'm like, you know what? We actually just sold out of every single book because we were hand shipping it out of my house. Um, we yeah. had sold at the time right before the Innies around um i think it was around twelve thousand books at that point like it was pretty significant um yeah. i mean we were we had numbers that were um in comparison to seventh c like a well-known rpg you know wow. by by uh john wick um yep. and he's in his third printing and we're talking i was talking with him on facebook about it. i was like yeah we just sold twelve thousand books in the past like year and a half and he's like that's that's incredible so the innies happen. We have no books in stock. Like I go through another print run with a local printer here. I work with actually 
my print shop that I worked at initially was Larry Elmore's print shop here in Kansas City, Missouri. Oh wow, okay. And they they do like print books for Jostin's yearbooks. I don't know if you're if you remember <laughs> like photos in school yeah. stuff like Jostin's. Yeah. yeah, my kids, my kids still yeah. get Jostin's yearbooks. Yeah, right. So, so yeah. the the innies happen, and we get it. We go to we go to Gen Con, and I I print a bunch of business cards, and I give away fifteen thousand or not fifteen thousand, twenty five thousand cards. I printed off business oh cards with free PDFs. Um, we hand them all out, but I think we only like we only because we tracked it. We got like around seventy five hundred downloads or something like that, and I gave them away for free. Yeah, yeah. Um, we gave them to everybody, anyone we possibly could. I did a lot of paid ads to like yeah. promote it, put it on Reddit, um, and it ended up everywhere. So suddenly, Zweihander became like this kind of weird breakout third party, you know, solo success, and and that at that point sales just kind of skyrocketed. Um, can I, can I, I ask you doing, something real quick? Yeah, by all means. Um, so you were planning like what, like a hundred copies, selling a hundred copies. copies or something like that. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like it ballooned. Did you freak out in that moment? Like, because we talked about this on Kickstarter. Like sometimes yeah. the windfall is not a blessing, right? No. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes <laughs> it's difficult. So I'm yeah. curious to hear it from someone who experienced it. Like, what did that? What was that like when you went through it? Yeah, the devil's in the details, right? My, I, I remember seeing the numbers climb and climb and climb, and then my stress level started to climb because my anxiety, I started getting very anxious. I'm like, oh my God, like I can't just do print on demand for these books. Like this is a legit print run. Like this is like a legit yeah. book I could go out and print. I can't do lulu.com. That would be doing a, a disservice to these people. And suddenly I was like, oh my God, I didn't charge anything for shipping. Like, am I going to eat all this money in shipping? And then 30th day comes my wife, like she makes me like a cookie cake and puts the number. I still have it on my Facebook, I'm sure. But this, this cookie cake she made me with like the number amount of money we were, I raised. And I was just floored. And I was like, now I got this responsibility to like deliver these books. So, um, I literally look, I literally look in the yellow pages, like in Kansas yeah. city for a printer. And I find that print shop that Larry Elmore worked with. Yeah. And I find a fulfillment company based out of Kansas. Unfortunately, that fulfillment company didn't work out too hot, but, um, Somehow a year later, we get all the books out and it was, you know, the, the, you know, we were in the black, like we were in the red. Um, I think I actually, I think my, my net after all that quarter million dollars in raise, my net was like less than $600 in, in my pocket. That's that's after paying my artists, my layout, my print as I ate the shipping cost. Um, it, it, I ended up walking away with hardly anything, but but I could say that I made this game and it was, a, and, and now people were playing the game that I was playing at my game table with my buddies for the yeah. last four years. And that was really cool. And, and that's as far as I thought it was, that's about as far as I thought it would go. And then it goes to the innies, it wins that. And then I get picked up by a publisher in Kansas city um, called Anders McNeil. They, they mm-hmm. want to publish my books and then they say, Hey, let's actually form an RPG publishing department in our company. And I'm like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because Andrews McNeil, like, they, what did they publish that, um, man, there, there was something that they published that I'm like, I've heard that, um, that name before. Yeah. So they're, for a book that they put. Yeah, and, and and the most re, the, they're probably their most well known author is Rupi Kaur. She was an Instagram poet, but they're actually fairly well known for their syndication arm because they syndicate 
Doonesbury, um, Boondocks, uh, Garfield, Sally, Peanuts. Yeah. Like they, they Calvin and Hobbs. Calvin and Hobbes. That was yeah, like their own, big one. That, yeah. Yeah. The syndicated arm. Uh, Foxtrot, like the author is mm-hmm. Foxtrot. When I was working there, he was like literally four four doors down from me in the office. Um, uh, Bill Amon. So it's it was really weird going in there as first as a published author or growing up in Kansas City and knowing who they are, a 52 yeah. year old publisher who I can you know find the work that they do in the Sunday funny papers to being a published right. author with them, then going to work for them over the last four years. And yeah. Zweihander just continued to grow and grow and grow uh, once I joined the company. That's um, that's awesome. What was it? Um, it must have felt like a big step being like, OK, I'm I'm solidifying a deal with an actual publishing company, mm-hmm. um, because if you look at um, some of the other third party um, groups. Uh, so. Back in 20. Was it 2016 or 2017? 2017, I think. I was at Gen Con. And on a whim, we decided, my friend and I decided, uh, Jason, who's a co-host of this, decided Mm -hmm. to try an RPG called Shadow of the Demon Lord. (laughs) Yeah. By Robert J. Schwab, right? And we played that game and instantly fell in love with it for all the same reasons that you developed Zweihander, right? It was low fantasy, dark and gritty, Mm-hmm. uh choices had real consequences yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like uh like you could die and you probably will die um there's a whole horror sanity mechanic that was a utter blast to play with mm-hmm. it and again the idea of like normal people being thrust into these horrific situations right and yeah. so we ended up i ended up running um a big uh, a big campaign from that but Rob Schwab, I don't think that he works with like any one particular publishing company, right? I think he published, he finds printers and he fulfills it and publishes it himself and all of that stuff. Um, so, you know, you going the actual like publisher route, I think it's kind of rare in the industry. You could feel free to correct me, but I, I can't think of third party publishers that are really like working with a publishing company like Andrew. Yeah. It was, it, it's definitely, I, I think I'm a unique case. Um, it, 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 you know, there's a number of reasons for it. Luck, privilege, opportunity. Yeah. Um, but, but the reality was, is I, you know, I was from outside the game industry. Um, I, I had a tangential interest in convention going. Uh, most of my gaming was done in the shadows of my basement after school or after work. And it was just us gaming together we didn't really get a game yeah. stores we didn't i'd never been to a convention until 2018 um, i've oh, been wow. to small conventions like locally but never like gen con or anything like that yeah. so i was not like uh i was not interwoven into the larger geek circles just me and my buddies like you know we were playing D D. the my, my girlfriends from from high school and after high school my my, my guy friends so we just play games together and that was it and then i kind of came outside the industry and, and i came from you know i came from the business world i spent you know, I spent my professional experience working in business development. So a lot of those things I learned there, I managed to apply to what I was doing in mm-hmm. publishing. And that's what got me into Anders McNeil. And I think that Anders McNeil next to Osprey is probably one of the only trad publishers that actually ever picked up games. Um, and yeah. Anders McNeil continues to publish games, even though I'm no longer working there. But um, it is unique in the sense that, you know, Anders McNeil distributes through Simon & Schuster. Same, same 
reach in distribution that Wizards of the Coast has through yeah. Penguin. So yep. uh, definitely unique. Um, speaking of Rob Schwab, I know he worked on some Warhammer Fantasy roleplay stuff early on when second edition with yep. Chris Promise from Green Ronin. Um, I think mm -hmm. he also may have worked on some D&D third edition stuff too, if I'm not mistaken. He I love fifth edition. Yeah, that's right. So I love, yeah, I love Shadow of the Demon Lord though. It's a really cool yeah. game. It's a really it cool is. game. Um, if I if so, <laughs> it's funny because I ran some um, role playing games with my colleagues at work. They find out that I'm a dungeon master, and they're like, "We've never played before." Uh, and I'm like, "Well, let's get the funny side of dice out, and let's let's take you beautiful. for a ride, right?" Love it. <laughs> and what I ended up teaching them was not D and D. I taught them Shadow of the Demon Lord because it's such an easier system to pick up and play. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Because you're you know you're rolling you're rolling either a, you know your twenty sided dice or and your boons which or banes which are d sixes and that's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. You know, and you've got you maybe maybe once in a while you roll another one, but in terms of explaining how things work, it's super easy. Um, what I did have to do though is tone it down to PG thirteen level because you know Shadow yeah. of the Demon Lord and Rob Schwab likes to crank that up to uh, the TVMA. <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a it's a mature game i um it, when i think about like dark fantasy games like if i want to run a dark fantasy game that's like D, &D i run shadow of the demon lord um yeah what i wanted to create was voyander though was give give me call of cthulhu but in the world of les miserables yeah um give me call of cthulhu in the renaissance um but without like weird you know, extra dimensional monsters, but give me all the, the the normal people put in extraordinary situations and not about, not about like the zero to hero effect, which you have in shadow, of the demon Lord in D and D it's in, in Zweihander, it's zero to one. Um, yeah. It's not about people who change the world. It's about a world that changes the people that changes the adventurers. Yeah. Um, and then they have to contend with the psychological aftermath of the choices that they made. Will they become, you know, um, in the, in, you know, in the, in, you know, they become like the monsters they're fighting. Well, they devolve uh, to their baser cells. And to me, that's the, that's always been the compelling element about dark fantasy um, that I really liked about Call of Cthulhu. The things I yep. was kind of there, kind of present in Warhammer, but definitely yep. present in Maelstrom and definitely the thing that I carried forward into Zweihander when I began development on that. So it's interesting. You mentioned that because we had um, Mike Mason on the show mm -hmm. Who's head yeah. of Chaosium right now, right? And he was instrumental in writing a lot of um, Call of Cthulhu Seventh Edition. Um, but before that, he worked on Warhammer Fantasy and uh, you know Warhammer um, uh, Rogue Trader and yeah. you know all of these uh, kind of like he was one of the original guys that was writing the Warhammer Forty Thousand role playing game. Yeah, and so a lot of that obviously bled into Warhammer Fantasy and. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's it's interesting to see his fingerprints on a lot of these types of things, because one of the uh, things that he specifically said in our interview with him is he says, I love the scenarios where you take ordinary people having to do extraordinary things. Yes. You know, and, and it's so awesome that you pulled that from Warhammer Fantasy. And even though Warhammer Fantasy has got its own setting and, mm -hmm. you know, you may not like uh, the Reichland and all that stuff. Right. But uh but you pulled that thematic feeling of like zero to one, right? Like ordinary person's got to step up because who else is going to do it? And, yeah. And then dealing with the aftermath, I think is the most interesting part of it because that's to me where the story comes in, right? Like, 
there's a reason why there's not D&D content for players 15 to 20 that's mm-hmm. out there that you have to homebrew that stuff because a the game kind of mechanics break down at that level that's the first mm-hmm. thing and yeah. b it's like you become so incredibly powerful that like what is there left to do and yeah. that's to me boring like that's boring mm-hmm. like i want to know about the person that struggles i want to know about the person that loses their mind accomplishing this greatest task and nobody's ever going to know about it yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I, you you were talking about the road earlier, and Comic McCarthy. I mean, there's yeah. a the the I I have always been drawn to uh, um fiction in that sense, not not like nerd fiction, but just like novels and books and and and, and film um, that is about the everyman, you know, going through something horrible and tragic and watching the story of that tragedy unfold. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I am thinking about the most, most recent film uh, with Brendan, Brendan Fraser, the whale, uh, which is based off a, a play. And it's a really intriguing story about a man who's like, he's a, he's a, not a, he was not, a, he didn't live a great life and seeing the story of this all kind of come to be like, it's, it's, there's a, there's a form of catharsis to be found. Yeah. Um, I think in, in witnessing tragedy on, on film and and I think that that for me as a game designer, like I love seeing those stories play out at the game table. Um, I love pitting my players in situations where it's not about making the the right or wrong choice. It's not about making the mm-hmm. good choice, or the bad choice, or an evil choice, or a or a goodly choice. It's about making a choice, and those choices right. sometimes have small ripples, and sometimes they have ripples that you know that you find later on. But nonetheless, like choices in the moment that are self serving oftentimes are the ones that come back to bite you. And I love position pitting players into those situations to see their personal stories unfold at the game table. So Zweihander, uh, you know, when I thought about like what I wanted that game to emulate was to emulate that experience from my game table to players, to have that catharsis, to experience that tragedy and see how that tragedy plays. not only just mechanic narratively in the story, but also mechanically on the game sheet. Um, I can tell you, you know, my my biggest quibble with some of the earlier D&D versions was like, make your saving throw versus fear. What happens when you fail mm-hmm. saving throw versus fear? You run for X number of rounds. You turn right back around and head back to fight the dragon, right? It seems so arbitrary. Uh, oh, so, I'm over that now. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, you know, when I thought about that in Zweihander, it's like, I need to make like these narrative choices and outcomes have mechanical weight that actually makes sense. Mm-hmm. And and that's where a lot of the the disorders and drawback system was drawn with corruption. It's mm-hmm. why, um, it's why that I view that these aren't punishments, but they're actually character embellishments. Um, yes. it's like, and and this is you know to kind of take this up a level. Like anybody who's experienced tragedy, um, who has experienced like who has you know has undergone like something terrible, you develop survival strategies to like mm-hmm. survive the situations. Like people who are agoraphobic who have to go out in public. They surround themselves with friends, so they're around people they know. That's a survival strategy. Yeah, a big part is Vihander when you accumulate these disorders or drawbacks is that you develop survival strategies around it, and so they are additive to the character, they're not punitive. Um, right. And and I think that is a more compelling story to tell than, well, guess what? Your character's dead. Roll a new one because death is so disinteresting in a game. Right. Um, right. It can bring a story. It can bring a campaign to a complete halt. What's more interesting is like seeing the psychological scars that the the character 
bears with them. Like that's a more compelling thing to, 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 to experience at the game table. Um, and one of the things I absolutely loved about early rogue trader, call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really interesting. You mentioned Mike Mason, cause my, my favorite, my favorite Warhammer 40 K role-playing game books were the times that he was writing it back when it was yeah. still like very pressed tongue firmly in cheek when it was still like yes. very jokey and political and like you're not supposed to like these guys like these are actually terrible people but it's it's grimly funny um yeah that's that's i think the heyday of that of that game line when he was working on it but nonetheless like you know to take this full circle like i love that experience as a player i love that experience as a game master and that's what i want zweihandra emulate is that that experience of the character's growth through horrific undergoings and my by horrific i mean something may you know i give you a good example so um in my home game short story but this will kind of drive home the point so there's in this in the story of my game this is many many years ago the players have been chasing an arsonist they've been chasing him halfway across the country across like several game sessions they finally catch up to him and he's inside this port town uh, called old work mm-hmm. and they or they finally pinpoint him in the dockyards and it's nighttime and they're pretty sure that he's on a ship that's docked in, in, in the port. And they see a fire break out on the ship. And they see him running off. He's like, oh, he's burning another ship. We better chase after him. But then they realize that there's actually a merchant family trapped on the ship that's burning. So I pit them with the choice. Like, you've yeah. been chasing this person in the game world for weeks, in, in outside the game world for like nine game sessions. Will you pursue the arsonist who will probably cause even more havoc if you don't capture him now? Or do you go to save the family? Because they couldn't they couldn't split the party. Yeah. It wouldn't work that way. There's not enough people. Right. So they had to make the choice. Like, do we save the family or do we go after the person we've been chasing? They make the choice to go out to save the family. So they gain psycholo- they gain corruption for that because it's a choice made in the moment. It's not the right yeah. choice or the wrong choice. It's just a choice. Like that's the sort of um that's the sort of stuff I like to pit stories around. It's like those difficult decisions because those are the things that really build characterization and help get people in the mindset of the world of the game. And, yeah. and it's far more interesting than hacking at a bag of hit points with a sword um, yeah, or totally. pulling, right. Uh, or, 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 or just having your character die um, because that's, right. it's boring. Like, uh, but you know, <laughs> that, that plays into this kind of theme behind a lot of like these kind of, gritty games which is like the illusion of cruelty the game appears to be deadly but it's actually not um zweihander is not a yeah. deadly game by any means but we'll i'm sure we'll talk more about that at some point yeah yeah it's funny because um and and i may have mentioned this before when we were playing our one of our very first adventures with shadow of the demon lord i had um had this evil dryad who was basically corrupting the forest and you know it's mm-hmm. going into these forest animals were going into towns and like you know or 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 homesteads and stealing children and taking them into the forest so they had to go deal with this dryad right and um jason again he was playing in our campaign mm-hmm. he um he, his backstory was that he had lost his uh wife or girlfriend or fiance i couldn't remember um but he had lost her and he wanted enough power to bring her back to life mm. so that was driving him right like driving him to do this so they confront this dryad right they have this battle this fight and she just basically says whoa 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 whoa! what are we doing here guys like why are we fighting i'll go away I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll leave you just let me go away i'll leave and in fact i'll give you this medallion of power that gives you the power that you know you you need to 
do whatever you need to with it, you know? And Jason was instantly like, I'm in, I'm taking yeah. it. I'm taking <laughs> the deal, you know? And, and she said, I'll swear an oath that I'll leave. And so he knew that she was going to leave, but he grabbed this medallion that gave him so much corruption, right? Because it was like not a great medallion. And even though the outcome was favorable to the town, like it was maybe the wrong choice, right choice, who knows? It was kind of in the moment. But the other thing, and, I, and this is the main point that I wanted to make, is those types of scenarios, what it ends up doing is it ends up creating the right kind of party conflict. Yes, yes, because, absolutely. Because what happened is one of our players is like, this lady needs to die. This dryad mm -hmm. needs to die, and I'm here to kill her. And Jason's like, mm, you're not going to do that because I'm taking this medallion. And yeah. so they ended up butting heads about it in the right way, right? Um, a lot of people think, oh, party conflict is about like two players arguing over something. Well, that's boring too, right? Like, yeah. or, you know, doing like a PV, PVP style battle to, you know, because they got mad at each other. Boring. What's interesting is like they're playing their characters and a choice comes up that puts them at odds with each other. And they have to figure out how to reconcile that because they know they need to work together. That's right. You know? That's right. Like, so I love that's it. I love that. that, that yeah. That's that, that party terminal thing is, is helpful. And, and it's, and it's hard to meet her, right? Like it I'm is. sure you experienced it at its worst and you experienced it at its best. Um, I'm, I'm very, very blessed to have two incredible game groups um, who we have, you know, we have, you know, our youth, it was very different. You know, when we're young and didn't know much about role-playing games. Like PVP yeah. was a thing, you know, like in our yeah, 14, yeah, yeah, 15 yeah. years old. But, you know, now we know that we don't take anything personally. We know that characters are going to have conflict. They're not going to fight each other. But if it ever gets to the point, like the way that I settle it is like, if, if players are like, if players are going round and round and round, um, I literally stop the game, make them do paper, rock, scissors, best two out of three. And yeah. that whoever chooses it, then, then what happens is both players narrate as the game master, the outcome together. Nice. And, nice. and that's how I, that's how I settle those, those kind of conflicts when, you know, you, you have those moments where like the player characters as themselves, as the characters are like stating their, their, what the reasoning and why they're doing something and having these feelings and stuff. And that's good and healthy. Um, but at the point where we're like, okay, now we need to actually kind of make a decision. Yeah. What are we going to do? We do paper, rock, scissors, whoever, whoever wins, like they, they narrate together the, the outcome together, which they yeah. all feel like they're all an active participant in re resolving in the moment that that terminal, but it always comes up again later, which is great because interparty conflict is important because you have these people going through trauma together and yes, they're all going to experience it in very different, different. ways. Yes. Very different yes. ways. Yeah. I, I, I always think about the moment like in video games where it's like this person remembers that. Yes. <laughs> you yes. Know? So they the make that choice game. and it's like yeah. that character remembers that, you know? The, and you're like, the, oh, the, okay. The Telltale games, Wolf Among yes. Us, uh, Game of Thrones, yes. Walking Dead game. It was fantastic. Like, I love that this character will All remember this. Yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I'm, the Wolf I'm, Among I'm, Us was so good. So it good. It was. I telegraph that to my players too as a game master. I tell them yeah. they make a critical choice. I always say, um, you know, remember this moment um, because it'll come back up later. Yeah, that's um, awesome. And they and they love it because they love the gamify it. Like, oh my god, we have yeah. these like interactions with this one person. I I love that sort of stuff. I love being transparent with my players like that too. So so we keep talking. We're skirting we're skirting an issue that I have to talk about. You mm -hmm. talked about the road. You talked about the whale. You talked about you know these telltale games. What is 
what is the media that you have consumed that you know the 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 games the books the mm -hmm. the movies that like have kind of you've taken all of these things and distilled it into Zweihander. What's your inspiration for this setting? Yeah. So uh, the biggest inspiration for, for Zweihander, I mean, was my, my, my kind of beyond my own campaign world. It's always been, um, I had this fascination um, in, in the PlayStation era with this game called Vagrant Story. Um, okay. it was, yeah. It was this, this, you, it was a square soft game. You blink and you miss it, but it was, um, translated by this gentleman whose name i forget but he translated final fantasy tactics and it wow. was written in this like old english archaic tone it was really really cool really interesting story really dark um in this highly political game it was written this it's a this cult classic i'm sure some of the listeners know exactly the game i'm talking about but i was really drawn to vagrant story and i remember when i first played i think i was 19 or 20 it was like it was like I had this like awakening like around like what tabletop gaming could look like. I was like, what if I what if I took the themes and the story beats from this and tried to replicate it in D and D, yeah. and that became such a seminal part of the way I built my own game world. It became the foundation for how I looked at Zweihander, where the magic was rare and seen as heretical mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. um, it was very rooted in reality. It was kind of like a, a Renaissance adjacent world where this, you know, these, the, these soldiers of the Cardinal were basically trying to chase down this like cult to take the power for themselves. Like it is very, very interesting, like deep, deep, intriguing story with terrible gameplay mechanics. But um, <laughs> the story was so good in the framing, the compositions that they would frame in the, the story itself. It had like these little pop-up balloons, like a, comic book um, yeah. with rolling text it's so brilliant and and that was like the foremost video game that and tactics ogre in that and final fantasy tactics um that became so influential over my own storytelling my game table and when i started to think about what zweihander could look like a like zweihander world it was a world like that but yeah. it was also a world that could be like black company it was also a world that could be oh my be gosh like, i love you know, the black company yeah it could be a world set in joe amber crombie's world it could be the yep. sad tale of the brothers gross bard it could be the witcher it could be the game of thrones and in in at the end of the day what i kind of figured out the big the big discovery over time was that zweihander doesn't have a campaign world mm -hmm. at all um it's it, 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 in, 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 in the same sense that D D fifth edition has no home campaign world right it's right. a tool set dnd is a tool set to tell hot fantasy stories set in these game worlds that dnd has created zweihander is a tool set to tell low fantasy stories in game worlds of your own creation and that's the purpose of zweihander um it kind of sits somewhere between um gurps which is like a really complicated system yeah, that yeah. could be flushed into anything uh but you know you either love it or you hate it um or it's somewhere between that and D&D, &D, but I knew it was going to be a tool set to build and create your own stories and worlds. And although it mm. does have its own separate campaign settings, there is no home world for Zweihander. You cool. can run it in 30 Years War. You can run it in Black Company. You can run it in yeah. a myriad of dark fantasy properties. Um, I've seen people run Darkest Dungeon with it. Um, awesome. I, I just saw I just saw a hack the other day for somebody who's trying to run it in Kingdom Death. And and I was thinking the other day, like, how amazing would it be to set it in like biblical Old Testament? Um, right. Middle East. There's like, a Bible RPG coming out. 
Yeah, I saw that. And I'm terribly <laughs> fascinated with it because I I, lo- I, I love reading. Terribly fascinated religious- is the right word. <laughs> I'm not a religious person, but I yeah. love the Old Testament. It's it's the most fascinating piece of mythology because uh, yeah. it's like munged with all these different like myth- proto-myths from other cultures. And I- I'm really interested to see like if this Bible RPG like actually ends up being like super dark because it, it is set from what I understand it's set in the old Testament, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I mean, we talked yeah. about sort of like, so do you take the Cain archetype or the Abel archetype? Like <laughs> so. sticks to snakes, literally like in the uh, <laughs> people turning to pillars of salt. Like, yeah, there's it's, it's the, the old Testament is pretty dark. Um, but yeah, but that, but Zweihander, um, you know, there, there is no, once again, there's no campaign world. There's themes. Um, the same mm-hmm. sense that D&D has themes. themes. D&D's themes are you are a hero and you'll become a big damn hero. Yeah. Uh, and you'll do it in these crazy worlds of floating elves and crystal spheres and spell jamming ships and planar doors that you will pass through in and out of the multiverse. Zweihander is about broken fairy tales, grim perilous realities, Yep. The occult is real, but people are highly superstitious. Um, zombies don't walk in the streets, but the stories about monsters, much like how they are in Japanese and early European mythology, especially Polish mythology, it's always about broken people who've done terrible things and they were changed yeah. into something else. It's the foundations that made Ravenloft awesome. Um, the right. early Ravenloft right. stuff. So yep. that's what Zweihander is. Zweihander allows you to emulate all all of that would beneath that kind of umbrella of uh, that that i hate to call it dark fantasy i like calling it fantasy horror because it is about the the horror element is foremost in it um it's less about it's less about dark and gritty fantasy which can sometimes unfortunately border on like some misogynistic views but Mm -hmm. um, for the purposes of fantasy and horror like it's a more inclusive genre uh, because horror is so well received by you know all manner of gen- spectrum of gender and sexes. Mm-hmm. So Zweihander is, it is fantasy horror, horror at the forefront and the horror that isn't necessarily just about like ghosts are real and you're going to fight Frankenstein right. and things, whatever else it may be. It's about personal horror. It's about personal stories, about psychological horror. It's about experiencing trauma in the, the perspective of characters and what your, what your characters will do about the situations around you. And that's, that's at the heart what Zweihander is, but it all started with that spark that came from Vagrant Story on PlayStation 1. That's that awesome. This, yeah, to this day, I replay that game annually around Christmas. I just finished my replay, actually, in mid-December. I do it every year since it came out. That is so cool. I um, Like I said, we played the Shadow of the Demon Lord, and you know, I, I think that my homebrew campaign that I was running had a sprinkle of Game of Thrones, a heavy dash mm-hmm. of The Witcher, a little... Um, in fact, our, our campaign was called The Company, The Golden Bear. So it had like mm. a, a uh, flavor of the black company as well, uh-huh. right? Like, which, I mean, I just got done rereading um, the first uh, book by Glenn Cook again, uh-huh. um, which is The Black Company, right? And um, like, man, that it's, it's written so weirdly because it's like almost yeah. like... Um, war correspondence from like Vietnam or something like that. Yeah. Like some soldier yeah. journal, you know, but talk about a book of like normal dudes just doing what they can, yeah. you know, like they find themselves in these like crazy situations where there's like other beings that are like literally raised from the dead 
yeah. you know, fighting supernatural things. And then they're like, no, 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 you need to come fight this war for us. And they're like, uh-huh. okay. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, in, in the language of the OSR, uh, fantasy fucking Vietnam. That's the way that I've heard <laughs> uh, Black Company referred to. I do you do you read Berserk at all? Like can uh, no. the Katara Miura manga? Uh, it's one of the most. It's one of the best selling mangas out of Japan. I don't read manga, but I read Berserk, and um, it's a dark fantasy world. Um, it, I mean, they've been Dark Horse has been really releasing omnibuses of its work over the past like eight years. Um, it's terribly fascinating. It's a, it's a dark, it's a dark analogy to uh, the early, uh, like, mid- true medieval period of Europe. Um, oh, interesting. And it's filled with demons and weird shit. And it's a very horrific story. Um, but it's it's very fascinating. And it, it to me, Berserk is like um, the ultimate Zweihander campaign uh, because <laughs> it, it does represent like all the horrors and terrors in a very very mature world, yeah. coincidentally. Um, just as mature, if not more so than Shadow of the Demon Lord. Um, sometimes done distastefully, but by design. Yeah. Um, right, and it's right. it's excellent. It's excellent. Hmm. Very good, very good. Now, um, earlier in the show, I had said that this was powered by the apocalypse, right? Mm-hmm. And um, which is not the case. You corrected me. This is powered by Zweihander. So um, give us a maybe you can explain to us like what what does that mean, powered by Zweihander? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, one of the things that I, you know, the things that we understand about role-playing games, you know, there's two things we typically interact with as a player or a game master. Mm -hmm. The first piece of UX we interact with is the character sheet, right? Yeah. Characters we all and then and the dice, right? And there's something very elemental about the math rocks, right? You, it's it's. I think as you game over time, you begin to understand the probabilities of rolling a d20. Um, You know, you but. But for a beginning gamer, like the D20, you just need to know you just need to know you're all high, but it's hard to it's hard to make choices because you don't know how to wager. You don't know like what your chance for success is. So Powered by Zweihander is all percentile based. I love percentiles because one, they're a very element elementary way to understand math. We all know that an 80 percent is a B. A 90% is an A, 100% yeah. uh, you know, it's an A. We know a, a D is, you know, 60% or below. So we we know those things inherently because we went to school in America. So I knew that percentiles were going to be the foundation of the of of mm-hmm. of, of the game system. Um, so it's all percentile based. It's about just interpreting the percentile dice. Sometimes and it's all roll low. So if you have an 80% chance to succeed, you need to roll 80% or below on your dice. If you mm-hmm. roll 81% or above, you fail. And your chances change based on the situation. Um, but I also wanted to simplify like how criticals are are concerned. So as you get better, the higher chance you have to do, make criticals, critical success or failure. So if you succeed, let's say you have an 80% chance to succeed. If you rolled a 77 or a 66 or a 55 mm-hmm. or a 44 or a 33 or a 22 or an 11 with matching dice, not only yep. do you succeed, you critically succeed. Nice. But if you had it, but if you rolled a 88 or a 99 or a 100 it's a crit Critical failure fail. <laughs> yeah so so you can always yeah. interpret you can always interpret your odds right then and there nothing's hidden behind the screen the player always knows on yeah. paper in front of them on their character sheet their chance for success so they can make better informed choices for their players so the power buys Weihander system utilizes that that is the premise the premise is simple dice mechanics but easy to learn but like all great rpgs hard to master um, yeah. in the sense that there are a lot of 
permutations, how those dice are used, different abilities for each of the professions in the game. And there's 94 professions in the base book as Vihander. Um, in the starter kit, there's 13. You choose one. That's awesome. And, build, and you get to build a character from the ground up. There's no pre-gen. You actually build a character because that's nice. part of the process of understanding Zweihander. So another premise of Powered by Zweihander is the random character generation. Um, I think oftentimes when we play a new game, like I'm gonna play, like as an example, I'm going to go play Fantasy Age. What I'm going to play, I'm probably going to play the same character I played in D&D and, and Pathfinder and every other game right. that I played because I like playing Elven Archers. So that's the common experience for a lot of people who play RPGs. So instead, Zweihander says, roll everything randomly from the ground up. Yeah. And and that's a hard pill to swallow because it people can are like... Be very much so. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but the way I look at character creation in Zweihander is that you end up with some really weird combinations. Um, I'll give you a good example. Uh, one person rolled a gnome who was a prostitute and had been gelded. <laughs> and their personality <laughs> traits were charity and martyrdom. And they're like, how does this all fit together? Because I'm actually like a five foot two gnome. Yeah, with gray hair, and I'm 32 years old. So you you end up with this really weird kind of mishmash of stuff. And yeah. I said, well, well, think about this way: a character in Zweihander is like a mosaic. You're going to end up with like all these miscolored pieces that yeah. you generate through percentile dice. You build your character from the ground up, but when you take a step away, you can see the portrait it makes, and then you can envision right. how do all these disparate things fit together to create this seemingly random character when you're going through the process but when you look at it on paper like i can see how this character has come to be in this weird gaming right. world and and it kind of asks players to to trust in the dice just to because character creation is oftentimes the longest choice and it, yep. it, longest session zero is always really long because you get analysis paralysis why says don't worry about that Yep. Um, just let's let's actually create a character. Let's experience character creation together because character creation in this sense is like a life path. It tells you mm -hmm. where you started, what your upbringing was, what culture you're from, the inherent trait that is shared among your cultures. You get one trait among like 14 of the, like mm -hmm. not all elves can see at night. Not all dwarves can use axes. Like there are no, there's no, every, every culture has like a set of traits, but they only get one that they were yeah. born with. And then you generate your age and your physical appearance in the way that you were prognosticated to die when you turned 11 and your personality traits and all these other compelling things that at first blush, they don't make a lot of sense because you may be accustomed to the way you typically create your right. Elven Archer and Fantasy Age or D&D or Pathfinder. But in Zweihander, when you take a step away and you look at your character sheet, because at the top of every character sheet in Zweihander, it's a, it's a Mad Lib. It's a yeah. it's a set of five sentences that tells a story about your character. You generate all those random things that fill in the blank, and and it asks players trust in the dice. Do something you're not you're not necessarily comfortable with, but you'll you'll appreciate the experiences of Lander by going through this. And you can actually start the game within twenty minutes, as opposed to no. two yeah. hours to create characters in D anD D or whatever other system you have. And then you start your session when another day, right? Um, yep. The thing that I, the thing that I love about that is that. People love their backstories, right? They love, um, they love to create their backstories. They love to kind of go into it. But by doing the character creation, you are creating the backstory, That's right? You know, because because right. you're sitting here going like, well, how does this fit together? And then all of a sudden, you are able to think of experiences or scenarios or, you know, past events that would make that gnome charitable. 
despite yeah. like a horrible thing that it went through being gilded right like yeah. <laughs> or a horrible experience of being a prostitute you know yeah. like you know you you kind of work through all of those types of things and your backstory gels itself together without you having to sit down and write a novel from scratch because yeah. you chose like oh i'm you know i've got a horrible secret that i you know my don't want my family to know that you choose every yeah. single time you create a character you know <laughs> and, so. and and yeah exactly and because the those vihander assumes that at character creation you lived your entire life in this profession mm. But it doesn't mean you're going to stay in that profession because like yeah. every good story, like stories come, there's always three major arcs in every stage play. Same for like movies. Um, you know, it's, you have the climax denouement. You have like this kind of character arc. Zweihander assumes over the length of gameplay, the campaign play, you will move, but you will gain three professions. You'll basically multi-class over time. You may go, in this case, you may go from prostitute to militiaman to witch hunter and the choices yeah. that lead to that are actually the, the story leads you there mm. um and then you choose your profession based on what's happened in the story you may have started your life as say a watchman or a laborer um but maybe you end up maybe you end up becoming a mercenary maybe you mm -hmm. end up becoming a diabolist because something happens in the story like the story-based choices actually lead you to your next profession. So in the length of Zweihander, like over the campaign length of the story, which, you know, is typically about 60-ish profet 60-ish sessions or more, you oh, will wow. gain you will gain three professions and you will complete your story. And it's less about like my character went through this giant art from like youth to old age. It's about no, what happened in this slice of moment in this time for this person, just like we see in film. Like we've, we, yeah. we, you know, like uh, it's about the moment that happens for the character. So the same thing in Zweihander, the Powered by Zweihander game engine assumes you will go in three distinct directions in the course of your story. And those, and, and that's based on narrative choices. Whatever profession you move into is based on what has happened leading up to the story up to that point. So one of the things that you talked about is that, that you found uninteresting. And I, and I kind of agree with you is, you know, the idea that you have a, um, you know, a monster that is just basically, uh, you know, a bag of hit points. So you just got to hack mm -hmm. on and at the end of it, you calculate all of the experience points and dole them yep. out, that type of thing. You know, the kind of the very minutia of the math of D and D mm -hmm. and, and, and to me, a lot of times D and D, if you, if you do experience points that way, it reward rewards being murder hobos. And, you know, you want to just go kill yep. everything because that's how you get experience points. Um, and leaves a lot of uninteresting thing or very interesting things on the cutting floor because you aren't incentivized to do it. Um, how does leveling up work in Zweihander and like what kinds of things, what kinds of activities are incentivized to yeah. level up, you know? So I, 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 I love this line of questioning because I, I remember asking myself very, very early on in the process, like what, what incentivizes people to play? Like it yeah. wasn't about it wasn't about how a character levels up. It's like what do people like about gameplay? Um, and 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 some people, you know, some people you know, I that game with me like the loot aspect. Some people like the role playing aspect. Um, some people, some people like the story aspect. Some people mm -hmm. like to, like gain NPC allies. Some people like to fight. Like there's there's different there's different reasonings. And I'm a big believer in reward the behaviors that you want to encourage at your table. Mm -hmm. So 
I used to like nickel and dime people with like bonus experience points. Like, oh, you did a really good role playing. You get this much. But the reality yeah. is, is that not everybody's a great role player. Not everybody's a great tactician. Not, not, not everybody's very great about like arguing over loot. So right. I was like, the reward mechanic is literally reward points. Reward points are what you get as a player for showing up and playing the game. That's it. Awesome. Um, there, there isn't like a in-game reason to do it. Like it, it, experience points are a weird meta mechanic anyway to think about. Um, about like, you know, what does experience points really mean in the game world beyond the meta the meta narrative? Like what mm -hmm. well, how does it exist with the milieu of a game world? And the answer is there there is no answer. A lot of people argue about it endlessly, like how old do you have to be to be level 20? It's like I'm a big right. believer, like it doesn't matter. You could still be 14 years old and be level 20 because right. that just happens to be about that story at that time in that moment. So instead, uh Zweihinder uses reward points. You show up, you play the game. You have a good time. At the end of it, you get you get reward points. You unlock something new on your character. Every cool. single game session, you will unlock a new ability, whether it's huh. a better skill or a new trait or a new bonus to your attributes. You unlock something. And when you unlock 20 things on your character sheet, then it's time to choose a new profession. Oh, okay. And okay. you unlock 20 things for that, and you get your final profession. So um, you get something every game. So you're not waiting for level two or using waiting for milestone leveling like in D&D. You get something yeah. for just showing up and playing the game because the most important thing I feel about role-playing games is it's it's the act of playing the game together as friends. So yeah. I want to reward that no matter what their satisfaction state is, whether it's loot or role-playing or allies or whatever, um, I want to reward the act of actually showing up the, one of the hardest things to do in role-playing games, like the yeah, schedule right. of games. So Zweihander so, <laughs> presupposes the the you gain reward points which which in the acronym is rp which stands yep. for role playing and and that was a clever it. way I to like it. to thread the needle on experience points because i just don't like the idea of experience points um as they stand um but yeah reward points is the way to go it's how you gain rewards and zweihander it's how you work your way through a profession and once again you unlock something at the end of every single game session i love that idea um because I mean, a while ago, I switched to doing milestone based, which I think is infinitely better than the, you know, hard math of experience yes. points and yes, things like agreed. that. Um, and also it helps um, doing milestone based also helps with um, uh, gaming groups that can't always be all together all at the same yep. time. Right. So like if somebody misses one session, they're not a full level behind everybody else just because they didn't get those reward points or, or that that's right. experience that's points, right. right? And so I, I switched to milestone. The problem with milestone is you got to find the good milestone to then give it to them, which sometimes we're like, are we going to level up yet? Are we going to level up yet? And you're like, not yet. And yeah, you know, I mean, so there's a kind of a, a carrot and a stick aspect that happens with that milestone based. Yeah. Um, but I really, really like the idea that every game session you get to unlock something. Mm -hmm. And after a certain amount of times of, you know, showing up and being there and playing, then you get to move on with a new profession or something like that. I think that's um, that's a really interesting way of solving that problem. Very, yeah. very innovative, I think. You know, uh, because like you said, you're trying to reward the behavior that you want and which isn't necessarily a specific in-game behavior you're trying to uh, run the behavior or showing up and playing yeah 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 it's the every every meme like i love the 
my one of my favorite memes to come out of the D and D honor among thieves was when the, when the movie was bumped by like uh-huh. six months. Uh, there's like some meme around like they can't even get the party together to launch the movie on time. Like it's just like a D and D game, um, which I think is utterly brilliant. So yeah, yeah it's it's the reward, rewarding the thing that you want to see as a as a, as players collectively, which is let's all show up and game together. So you have um, you have put out quite a bit of content for Zweihander. Uh, mm-hmm. I was just looking at the um, McNeil published. Uh, and the page that you have there, and there is quite a bit. I mean, you've got obviously the uh, Zweihander revised core rule book for like mm-hmm. a you know the 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 game master. You've got the player's handbook that's out there, but uh, there's plenty of other supplements that you have there, uh, yeah. such as like the the man gauche, which I, as a French speaker I know means left hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. <laughs> So I'm, I haven't really looked at that one. I'm like, what is that? You know, like what? Yeah. Is, uh, I assume it's a uh, alternate weapons and type thing. I'm just taking a guess there. It's uh, no, it's it's, it's a it's new profession. The, it's just a it's about the left handed path. It goes into really, really dark territory. Oh, like if you want to take your game toward. Yeah. If you want to play like evil campaigns, that's the supplement to pick up. It was actually a slush pile we had in our Google Docs for stuff we couldn't include in the revised, revised core rulebook. We called it Mongosh yeah. because Zweihander is a weapon. Mongosh is held in the left hand. And like this is all like yep. left handed path occult stuff. So, I love but, but, the revi- but the revised core rulebook, quick clarification the revised core rulebook actually is inclusive of the player's handbook, the dungeon master's guide, the monster manual, and an adventure. It's everything you need. Um, the player's handbook is wow. actually just the first. The player's handbook is just the first 10 chapters of that book that we did later. Oh, just to have okay. like a smaller right, book. Right. Yeah. So you can literally play it just the revised curl book. It, has, it literally has a fully baked monster manual, everything else you need inside of it. It's like 687 uh, you, pages. It's huge. Oh, that is hefty. That is definitely a Zweihander book right there. Two handed. <laughs> wait, it weighs five pounds. <laughs> yeah. That's right. That's right. Now, you there's also a lot of other supplements that you can get. There's arcane magic cards, covenant magic cards, divine magic cards. You've got a game master folio, a screen, um, monster cards, those types of things. That if if you wanted those um, to play with, there's the American Gothic Horror of Flames of Freedom that is yeah. like based uh, powered by Zweihander, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. again, I told you before, I'm most interested in starter sets for the reasons that we talked about already. So why don't you walk us through your starter set? Because this just released, yeah. I think, within the last month, right? Yeah, so it came out. It came out late November. Um, okay, and, so it's been about two months. Yeah, this is the starter kit. Uh, quick, quick aside for the audience: the starter kit, and this was not intentional, by the way. I swear, I swear on everything that's holy. This starter kit, if you put it on a scale, weighs sixty six point six ounces. <laughs> it's true. Uh, if you if you tar, if you hit the tear, whatever the button is on your on your scale, yeah. your scale. It weighs 66.6 ounces. It was not intentional. Oh um, my gosh, that's too funny. Yeah, so so Zwinder comes out in 2018. And it, it's been, you know, we've had a lot of feedback from the community. A lot of people yeah. have played it. We made a lot of improvements in my own game table. And we knew that we wanted to maybe do maybe do a second edition, but I didn't want to re-edition. I'm, 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 I'm kind of anti-re-editioning because I don't want to invalidate okay. the purchase that people have made before. So I was like, what if we took all the lessons we've learned over the past four years we put it in a starter kit 
and we make it usable for new players and we also make it backwards compatible with the book line and make the the old book line forwards compatible with the starter kit so it all works together hmm. so we decided to thread that needle and we ended up creating the starter kit and when i when i started actually defining the scope of work for the starter kit i knew i needed to do a couple things one, I wanted a kick-ass adventure that delivered on like all the occult horror themes, like the art occult horror. I just watched Suspiria, and I was like yeah. the original Italian movie, and I was like, I was deeply fascinated with that. I love Twin Peaks, and I love small town horror. So I was like, I'm going to talk to James Intercasso, who wrote in D and D, and now works for MCDM to like write the adventure, and he wrote the adventure inside the starter kit. But I also wanted to make sure that the starter kit had content in it that would not be simply shelved and thrown away give right. you a good example uh the dnd essentials kit the dnd storm rack island kit the dnd starter kit those are great box sets right but once they're done they're on your shelf you never pick them up again i wanted right. everything in the starter kit to be evergreen meaning you could take this content the cards the screen the red book the black book the maps all the character sheets everything inside there is usable with the revised core rulebook. It meaning you don't just shelf this thing. You carry this content forward into your game. The red book, in fact, inside this, inside the starter kit right here is the only thing players will need if they play Zweihander for 10 years until they want to change professions or get new spells. This book can be used for literally everything. And it's a hyper-condensed version of the revised core rulebook. And it's 100 pages long. Um, so you can wow. use that. You could you could literally as a, as a player, you could buy a starter kit and never have to buy a single book in your entire life. All you need is a, a game master as the revised core rule book when you want to change professions or get more spells. This otherwise has every single rule you will ever possibly need in Zweihander inside of it as a player. So I wanted this to be like the thing that players could take forward into their normal game. Um but it also has a ton of maps and posters inside of it too. So I wanted like there to be, there's like a two by three, like map of the, the small city where the adventure takes place in Swansea. Mm -hmm. That was illustrated by Kyle Latino. Um, but I wanted to also keep the same illustrator on board. Uh, Dejan Mandic. He lives in Serbia. I've been working with him since like 2014. He's done all the illustrations and the entire Zweihander game line on the inside. He has a very characteristic style. It's all black and white. It's all done by hand, no digital work. He illustrates wow. all the all of our books cover to cover. Cover, well, I should say interior to interior. The covers are typically done by a different artist. In this case, the cover for the starter kit was done by Samuel Rea, who's like a brilliant artist. Um, but but I want but yeah. I want the starter kit to like deliver on those two things. And and and, and most importantly, I wanted to make it super cheap. So um, I created this, or say we collectively created this with uh, a pretty a crack team of writers. So uh, Anna Goldberg, Sean Van Dame, um, Kate Bullock, James Tricasso, myself, a handful of contributors. Sorry about that. I coughed. Um, the team from Grim okay. Parallel Studios, <laughs> who I game with. Um, and, and we created this starter kit. And it's been incredibly well received which was great it was it's always a, a gamble to relaunch a game um because the perception could be oh they're re-editioning so all my old stuff is no longer applicable um we kind of took a page out of free league's book when they right. created their starter for tales from the loop um it, it updated the rules but it was still backwards compatible so we did the same thing for the starter kit and keep in mind the starter kit came out 
Very cool. In 2022. So that's four years right. after the main line rule book came out. So we, we listened to our community. We included our errata. We, you know, get, got a lot of feedback from our discord, a lot of feedback from our Facebook page. Uh, we had a lot of community feedback to help us kind of shape and create this thing into a, a, a game as a product that we thought would not only satisfy Zweihander players because the first rule of creating games is to your community is do no harm, just like just like a doctor. Right. Uh, but more importantly, <laughs> how do we create? Yeah, how do we create Zweihander to be a more inclusive and easier, lower barrier to entry experience? Because the Zweihander book is six hundred eighty-seven pages and very intimidating. It's huge. So we yeah. created the starter kit, and like I spoke about earlier, my favorite things about AD and D Second Edition was boxed kits. All yeah. the things I loved about box kits from AD and D during the TSR days we included. So. All the physical ephemera, all the tear apart tar uh, tarot sized cards for injuries and spells and clues, all the eight and a half by 11 maps, all the big full out two and a half by three maps, the posters, uh, the, the feel, the saddle stitch books, the color choices were influenced by the red box from AD&D and the black box for AD&D mm -hmm. as well. Like I carried those things forward into this and, and also gave it like a super sturdy a box with beveled edges. I want the box to actually not be able to be crushed on a shelf. So you can kind of nice. see it here in the camera. It's beveled. Yep. Yep. Um, but it's a very, very sturdy box because I love the Pathfinder beginner box, how sturdy their box was. It gives a, it imparts value um, yeah. to a consumer. It's something that we were taught by our book buyers, like that we should over, we should skew on quality of product, which is one thing we've always stood by with our Zwinder game line. So the starter kit, you know, it it started at you know a, a in twenty twenty like late twenty twenty, we wrapped it up in twenty twenty one. It went to the printer in January twenty twenty two and delivered at the end of twenty twenty two. That's we pretty little, amazing. Yeah, it was it's it's uh it's the last it's the last game I worked on at Anders McMeal before I left. Um, it's the one I'm probably the most proud of because I finally got to create a starter kit, which was kind of my pipe dream for many, many years. Yeah. Um, and I and I just saw today, and it, it literally, it literally almost brought me to tears. Um, this this parent, she's 41 years old. She tagged me on Twitter and she said her 15 year old son and her and her husband were playing their first RPG, and it was the starter kit. And oh, I was like, awesome. how? How fucking cool is that? Like, yeah. I remember picking up my first box kit, and like, like I one of my first box kits was like the Planescape box kit, and that was such an instrumental part of my youth. The Red Box was for AD and D, like that was uh -huh. you know that was part of my experience, and I look back on that in fondness, and it's incredible to think that like this this box kit that you know my team and I collectively created is the first game these people were ever going to play, yeah. and how. How cool is that? Like I can like it, it's just weird. It's it's still so weird to think about. Like I can go to Target down the road and find this sitting beside the D and D Essentials kit. I can walk into Barnes Noble and find the same set. I can walk into my local gaming store and I and I'm just it's it, what a privilege it is um, to have the opportunity to create something like this to reauthor a book that I literally almost wrote on my own way back when with a guy named Tanner Yeh. Um, mm -hmm. The original is Y-Hander. Like, to be able to rewrite this with a team of, like, experienced writers and a great artist using all these learnings from our community to make this, like, really tight, cool game package. And now for it to be, like, so well-received, it's it's truly been a blessing. It's 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 strange to think about. Um, I have no illusions. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I try to remain humble. But, God, it feels really good to know people are, like, playing this thing and they can enjoy the game that 
that I that I love that I play at my own yeah. game table, and this may be their first game they can play. I mean, it's just it's just wild to think about. It's well deserved. It's uh, very well deserved, and um, we have like a billion things. I'm sure, like that, we could continue to talk about for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. But um, one thing I kind of wanted to wrap up on, and you touched a little bit, is that you recently did leave Anders McNeil publishing mm-hmm. uh you kind of made an announcement on your discord that uh, yeah. like mid to end uh, december um so what is it what's next what's happening well uh i i can't talk too much about it openly yet okay um okay. i will say it was kind of a mutual decision to mm-hmm. depart andrews mcneil they're still my publisher um i still work with them almost on the daily um they're, they're a great company to work for but um I've got a, that's that I need, I had to get off the train and go to my next stop. Uh, yeah. My next stop, I'll probably be talking more about in February. Okay. Um, I've kind of got three specific things I'm working on right now, three directions. Um, I have to pick who I want to bring to the proverbial dance, so to speak. Um, but, but I will tell you this, whatever choice I make, um, it will, wherever the direction I end up going will, will be to support, Zweihander, the community that has, you know, initially believed in me back in 2016 and now believes collectively in us, um, the freelancers and artists and writers and editors and designers that I work with, um, wherever, where I end up going, will continue to service Zweihander, continue to service the community. And, and this is not the, the last thing you'll see from Zweihander, not only just in 2023, but 2024 and onward. Awesome. I'm very excited we for the future. Yeah, I cannot wait to see what happens. Um, I love everything that uh, that we've seen, and to be perfectly honest, I had not gotten the starter set myself. I've got plenty of collection on the shelf over here. Uh-huh. My hander's not on there, but it will be on Wednesday, so I well, just picked it, it up. So. Oh, that's great! I was going to say I, I will be more than happy to mail you. Oh no no! For for the cost of twenty five dollars, I can I can pick (laughs) this up, right? So, um, I encourage my listeners to go out and also check it out. Again, any starter set that's got everything that you have in there, right? Which is all those books. You got the maps. You got the 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 uh, game master screen. You've got the cards that you can use, and these are all very reusable products. Yeah, that you can that you can do. For $25 is a steal. I don't know how you're making money on it, if at all. You know, <laughs> I joked about that with Mike Mason when he was selling his starter set for like $20. I'm like, yeah, you can't be making money on this. Well, like, I'll, you know, I'll, so. I'll, I'll tell you this. We're in our second print run already. So it's oh, been, wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's truly, it's a blessing. Truly it is. Yeah. So we're, I'm, I'm excited to get it. And um, I'm definitely going to show it off at our next geek week that we have on the show. Because cool. um, I'm I'm excited to to dig into it. Um, my last question for you is um, community content. Um, mm-hmm. Like what uh, what kind of community content is there? Or do you encourage it? Like what uh, what what's your stance on it? Given the recent developments of the OGL, <laughs> you know we were kind of ahead of it back in 2016 because Zweihander is released under Creative Commons license, non non license, yeah. non non commercial. So you can actually create wherever the hell you want, do whatever you want with it. Um, that was that way initially when I released it uh, on Kickstarter. Um, we also have a community content library with Drive Through RPG called the Grim Perilous Library. Um, Adam Rose and his team at Grim Perilous Studios run that, but it's a very, it's a very 
well-rounded out library of around like 375 products. People create adventures, they create monster cards, they create VTT content, but it's all Creative Commons license. So you can take it there, you can monetize it. Uh, you can do print on demand, which a lot of community yeah. content programs don't do. And it pays 60% of revenue, not 50%. Um, you know. It's something that Adam and Groom and Perilous really wanted to enforce, encourage uh, yeah. for the, the library. Um, and we have a super, super interactive discord around it. Like we have like a, we have 3000 members in our discord that uh, most of which are actually participants of the community content library. Um, it's at discord.gg forward slash Zweihander. Um, we're a partnered and verified community with discord. So um, you can go there talk about things you're creating on the other community content libraries um, because we allow people to translate their Zweihander adventures into D&D adventures and whatever else they want to do for community content. We don't, we're not precious about creating things just for Zweihander. We want to see creators flourish. So people will take their D&D adventures, convert them to Zweihander. They'll take their Zweihander yeah. adventures, convert them to D&D. And we actively encourage that because we want people to be able to have the freedom to create. That's the most important lesson, I think, out of this whole OGL kerfuffle is that the community is what matters the most, the creator community as well. And and I knew very early on when I started writing Zweihander, I wanted to be creative. I wanted to be under Creative Commons licensing. It continues mm -hmm. to be under Creative Commons licensing. And I'm actually going to open up that license even wider. I'm going to open up that aperture a little bit larger here soon too. So it'll be wholly inclusive um, and not just for Zweihander, but also for other people who want to port those things into their own games that are maybe D&D &D or maybe Pathfinder or whatever else. Maybe we end up adopting the ORC license. We'll see how that turns mm -hmm. out. Um, yeah. But nonetheless like we are um we don't want to prohibit or limit people from creating things using Zweihander, and that's why it's under creative commons license you know and, and really what you're doing is you're taking the idea that a rising tide floats all boats right yes, that, like absolutely. if there's a lot of content absolutely. coming out and everybody's playing in and excited about it it just lifts everybody up right absolutely. instead of being a zero-sum game where you know who gets the biggest slice of pie type of thing right so there's enough pie for everybody uh, yeah when we're playing what, it, so yeah i mean it's one thing we've learned i think in the last like two weeks is that we're all in this together yeah. um hasbro underestimated that they underestimated uh the, the community the power of the community paizo once again has come out and made you know made some some revolution created a second revolution um yeah. in the in the rpg industry with the orc first with pathfinder now with the orc um, the community continues to show that um, they understand RPGs far better than Hasbro suits, uh, where whoever those people may be, um, and we're better for it. And and I'm I'm I rising tide, like you said, a rising tide, rising tide lifts all boats, and yeah. that's what we want to see with Zwiners, what we want to see with other RPGs. We're not in competition with anybody. We're all in it together. Yeah. We're all making games, and at the end of the day. It's about enabling creators to make their things, allow game masters to create their things and to share it with the world. That's the most important thing to me as a game creator and designer, but I want to see more of in our industry. Awesome. Well, then you thank you so much for coming on the show. We had such a good conversation. Yeah. Like I yeah, said, we could have been going on for we could have been going on for another couple hours, I think. But you need to go. <laughs> you need to go back and watch The Last of Us tonight. Yeah. So uh, I told my wife I'll be there like ten thirty or eleven. Like it's like ten eleven now. I'm like maybe ten thirty or eleven. But I think this is going to be a long conversation with Justin. We have a lot to talk about. So thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, you're welcome back anytime. Anytime you've got something big coming out, let us know. We'd love to have you back to talk about it for sure. Cool. So, 
Sounds good. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you so much to all of our listeners who uh, stuck with us through this. And we hope you really enjoyed hearing from Daniel and hearing about Zweihander uh, in case you hadn't heard about it before. So, uh, where Daniel, where can they find you? Like on Twitter, social media, that type of thing? Yeah, so I'm on, on Twitter at uh, just forward slash Zweihander RPG or just come to our Discord. Um, okay. It's just discord.gg forward slash Zweihander. All of our artists and developers and writers and community content creators and fans are there cussing and discussing new stuff for playtesting for another yeah. for another Zweihander thing we're working on. We're sharing with the community. Come there, interact with us. We're all interactive day by day with the, with the community there. So if you have any questions about the rules, want to share your stories or are looking for a group, well, that's yeah. the place to be. We'll, we'll, we'll help awesome. you out. And uh, for our listeners uh, and folks on YouTube, we'll put that in the comment section. So you can just click on that link and it'll take you right to the Zweihander Discord group. So, uh, yeah, again, thank you very much. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for joining us tonight. And as always, keep the dice rolling. Have a great night, everybody. Happy gaming, everybody.